This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to cfact.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. Congressman Mike Flood, thank you for joining District of Conservation. Good to have you. It's so good to be on. And uh, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Share a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in Congress, and what is so unique about your district in Nebraska. Well, I'm a lifelong Nebraskan. I'm a broadcaster and a lawyer by trade. I own radio and TV stations in Nebraska um, and have have been bitten by the broadcasting bug. But I served for 10 years as a state senator in Nebraska, six of those as the speaker of the nation's only unicameral, which is a which is an experiment that's been going on in Nebraska since 1937. And uh, recently, I was elected in a special election in the summer of 2022 uh, to represent the 1st Congressional District of Nebraska, which includes towns like Lincoln, Columbus, Fremont, and Norfolk, Nebraska. And uh, I serve on the Financial Services Committee, which is a a passion of mine. So I'm married. I've got two kids. I've got a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old, both boys, both playing football. And uh, with the with the schedule in Congress recently, it's been getting more difficult to get to some of their games, but they are doing well. I know Congress has been busy and we're not going to dwell on what's been happening because you've probably been flooded with those questions. We're here to talk about some more lighthearted topics about conservation and energy. And I know Nebraska, with it being a very ag heavy state, uh, these issues are very important to you. But before we dip into kind of some energy policies and conservation policies that are concerning to you. I think people forget uh, the story from a few months ago. I think it's now over six months ago, half a year ago, to, to think of it. So much time has passed. A lot of things have transpired in the news cycle. But your district was in the news, interestingly enough. I was one of the few people to highlight this, and, and the media started to catch on. But Nebraska became center stage for a very egregious crime involving an American bald eagle, um, non-U.S. citizens who had poached it illegally. For people who don't know, the even though the American bald eagle was just recovered and successfully delisted, it's not endangered or threatened anymore. Um, there's still a lot of protections placed on them from probably the Migratory Bird Act. And I forget there's specific uh, law pertaining to protecting eagles. So what has happened uh, since that incident transpired? Have any prosecutions happened? And can you speak to the kind of slow response from the Fish and Wildlife Service? It took social media outrage for them to start to care. Yeah, so the sheriff of Stanton County, Nebraska, is a personal friend of mine, and this guy is on the job 24 hours a day. He had a deputy roll up on uh, two uh, gentlemen from uh, Central America that were in the country illegally, and they were uh, they had just shot a an American bald eagle, and when questioned about it, uh, they said they were going to use the talons for like ornaments, and they were going to eat the the meat, and uh, showed complete disregard for. Uh, not only our federal law, but, uh, you know, our, our national bird. Uh, 
The Stanton County Sheriff spent the weekend trying to get the feds to engage U.S. Fish and Wildlife, uh, you know, calling around and didn't get anywhere. And so he was investigating what was essentially a federal crime. But once folks like you uh, got the word out about what was happening, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife did take decisive action. And the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Nebraska uh, indicted two gentlemen, uh, both illegal aliens. Uh, one is in custody and has pled guilty, violating the Bald and Golden Eagle uh, Protection Act. And the other suspect is at large at this time. So while it's a snapshot, it's yet another example of why the Biden administration needs to reverse its open border policy, stop the flow of illegal immigration and build the border wall. We've got folks coming in that are, uh, you know, shooting bald eagles and with no disregard for what it means in America turning the talons into ornaments. I mean, that's disgusting. And people out here were outraged, rightfully so. And I think Sheriff Unger will tell you he's pleased with the federal response that he's seen from U.S. Fish and Wildlife uh, since they had the opportunity to connect. And the prosecutors in Omaha have been doing a good job working this case. Yeah. And if you sell wildlife parts, I believe, I don't know if it applies also to migratory birds, including uh, the American bald eagle, but under the Lacey Act of 1900, a very old law, you're not allowed to sell wildlife parts. And it goes against the North American model of wildlife conservation ethos, like the uh, near dozen principles that say you cannot make <laughs> commodities out of wildlife um, animals whatsoever. There are some exceptions under the Lacey Act, but it's very few and far between. But yes, they they committed this ghastly act. And anyone who claims to be a conservationist um, should have been outraged by this, but I didn't see any birding association really draw much outrage because it didn't fit into their narrative. Unfortunately, maybe after the fact they did. But yes, I think people forget that um, when people commit these egregious acts, they have to be applied evenly and no one should get special privileges. And I was very disappointed, but I'm not surprised uh, given who's at the homes of the Fish and Wildlife Service why they had such a slow response because it would have probably angered some of their base um, to say, why are you going after these per particular individuals? But uh, the laws have to be applied evenly. And if you claim to be protecting wildlife and including uh, birds like our national bird, uh, you got to apply that law evenly. So I appreciate the update. And I hope that other person is similarly apprehended. Recently, you had penned a very good column, a really interesting column in Fox News Digital. You were talking about the newly announced Climate Corps, which could total uh, about 10 to $30 billion for only potentially employing 20,000 individuals. That doesn't seem like a good return on investment. You also touched upon 30 by 30 and some of uh, Biden's other policies. Can you speak to your column and what led you to write it? Well, I was reading the New York Times, uh, about uh, Dutch farmers grappling with the fallout from extreme climate policy. And I've been talking to uh, different ag groups in Nebraska, like uh, the Dairy, Nebraska Dairy Association, Nebraska Cattlemen. Uh, they are, and, I, and I, I've been visiting actually with some members of parliament. I hosted one at my home in Norfolk, Nebraska over the summer. They are making it so difficult in Europe for uh, ag producers to, or livestock producers to raise beef, to raise, uh, chickens, to, uh, hog confinements, uh, it, that they are going to be completely reliant on countries like the United States. And after I read that article in the New York Times, and everybody should look at this, that's the direction that President Biden wants to go. When, when AOC and everybody else laid out the Green New Deal, it seemed so out of touch with reality. 
And every single day, some federal bureaucrat in some federal agency is adopting and promulgating a new rule that makes it more and more and more difficult for production agriculture. And if we're one thing in Nebraska, we're about production agriculture. And ironically, the best environmentalists are actually the farmers because that soil, that ground is their number one investment that they never want to sell. They want generations from now to enjoy being on the family farm. Uh, the University of Nebraska, we're working on we're working on research with USDA to uh, develop precision agriculture practices that will allow us to grow more corn with less water to to be more efficient, to make our uh, to make our ag products, you know, reduce the carbon footprint. At the end of the day, though, what um, what I see out of the Biden administration every single day, this climate corpse core that he wants to start. He's styled after a New Deal era program, uh, the 30 by 30. Uh, Governor Ricketts in Nebraska was the first real elected official in America to blow the whistle on this 30 by 30. And uh, we need to because that's exactly what they're working to achieve. And it's under the guise of conservation. They can't properly define what conservation is. It's really masking off preservation, which is this very kind of hostile environmental strain, which is now mainstream. It's the mainstream environmental thought. And given your position on Financial Services Committee, I wanted to also mention this too. I believe ESG policies also affect farmers and ranchers. And in a lot of my reporting work, I have seen how uh, the SEC with Gary Gensler and others are trying to strangle ranchers and farmers with potential scope three emissions, indirect and direct, uh, tracking and, and demands of, of an agency that has no jurisdiction over farmers and ranchers, uh, believe it or not. People don't know that. Uh, but they want to create these new guidelines and these new regulations for individuals they have no purview over uh, through the guise of environmental, social, and governance principles. And it's going to put a further strain on that, too. Is, is that something you're also seeing in the Financial Services Committee, too, as it relates to ag? Absolutely. When I was talking about federal bureaucrats, you're absolutely right. Uh, the Biden administration wants to turn... Uh, your loan officer at Farm Credit or your community bank uh, that's that's lending to a farmer. So let's say the let's say the livestock producer wants to double the size of their uh, their feed yard uh, and their feedlot, and they're raising uh, cows and selling beef. Uh, that loan officer, uh, under rules that would be promulgated, uh, you know, through the FDIC and all the other federal agencies, would be required to get an environmental impact statement. And the loan officer would be required to enforce all of these new non-statutory obligations from executive branch rulemaking authority. And if the loan officer doesn't do that, the bank regulators will come in and uh, decide whether or not the FDIC should continue a relationship with the bank or whether that should, they should be sanctioned. So you're essentially using uh, a farmer's need for capital against him or her by uh, uh, having the banking system regulate uh, environmental uh, policy, which is the banking system needs to be about soundness and safety. And uh, it needs to be about um, uh, risks that are, that affect the financial integrity, not imposing new obligations that, don't pencil out in the profit and loss. If they want to pass something to require feedlots to do that, then do that through the EPA. Do that through Congress. Uh, but don't come in on the bank side and do it. We're seeing that every day. Yeah, the ESG investment strategy, which has actually morphed into kind of this 
top-down government extension, you know, of, of like Biden's policies. That's what my observation of it is, because we're, we're seeing it translate there and it's under the guise of the free enterprise system and it's not free market oriented and it's forcing behaviors on individuals and saying, if you don't comply, uh, whether it's through, you know, in accordance with banking standards or through directives that are coming from executive action, uh, you will be denied a loan. You'll be, you know, penalized, and and those costs that add up are going to burden your business operation as it relates to farmers and and agricultural interests. Similarly, with gun ownership and whatnot, you see different companies are being denied services uh, using Square, uh, getting loans, things of that sort. So ESG is creeping into conservation uh, directly and indirectly, and and that's a concern. And thank you for highlighting that. And I know the committee is also um, interested in doing that as well. And could you speak more to Biden's energy policies and how it's affecting your constituents? Because everyone, doesn't matter where you live, seeing higher gas prices, seeing higher utility bills. Uh, it seems like we can't escape this. And then they say that Bidenomics and all these, you know, net zero policies are really good. But so far, we've seen that that's not the case. So how has it, how has it had an effect on your constituents? Well, it's really an affordable housing issue. Uh, people's wages have not gone up to match the uh, out-of-control inflation. And at the same time, uh, the uh, interest rates on homes have gone up and uh, a home, a brand new home in Nebraska, in a town I live, which is 25,000 people in rural Nebraska, northeast Nebraska, uh, to build a new home, it's going to be 350 to 400,000. Now, if you're on a tight budget, there's no way you can afford that. There's no way that home ownership is within your reach. And that's the result of Bidenomics. That's inflation that is outpaced the uh, ability to earn, reduce the amount of discretional income, and then made it even harder to go get a home loan and to pay that interest. So they've really pinched the people that need the relief the most by making it impossible to get them into their own home. And that takes away their opportunity at the American dream. That that goes right to the core of what what we want to happen. We want people to buy homes, invest in their communities, raise their kids, get in the school district. And uh, that option for a lot of people in rural Nebraska is not available because of Bidenomics. That's really true. And, and people see that translated through their everyday transactions, uh, their ability to want to purchase a home. And I think even for producers like farmers and ranchers, everyone is seeing this. Um, doesn't matter what industry you work in, if you're in conservation or not, it, it's hitting everyone. And I wanted to ask you kind of, as we close out on our interview, how can conservatives and Republicans make a greater case for like a true conservationist platform over what we're seeing, let's say these net zero uh, admonishment of ranchers, farmers, hunters, anglers, have conservatives and Republicans put out a vision? I've noticed that there has been some work coming out of natural resources, uh, this Congress in particular from the Republicans. But what do you see as a, an effective way of promoting you know, environmental stewardship in contrast with what we see coming from this administration? Well, I think there's some value to saying the market wants uh, the market will pay more for uh, envir more environmentally friendly or uh, uh, food produced in America that meets certain standards. Ironically, I don't think we are telling our story well enough in the upper Midwest where we are doing more with less. We're using less nitrogen. We're using the best uh uh, practices available. Nebraska has been protecting our groundwater, uh, the first state really in the nation to be really strict on making sure that our groundwater is protected because we have this underground ocean under Nebraska of fresh water. It's like 
the best asset we've ever had. And thanks to Nebraska's aggressiveness, we limit the number of uh, acres that can be irrigated in, in Nebraska uh, because we recognize that we have to we have to protect these natural resources. So part of it is we have to tell our story. And when when I tell that story and I'm in a committee, I see faces on the other side smile because those are the things they want to have happen. We are doing it. What I say is if carbon capture is important to the people of California and we are producing ethanol and they will pay more for our ethanol if we have a carbon score of zero, well, then let's start sequestering it and let's ship as much of it to California and we will take their money and sell them carbon zero uh, uh, ethanol and everybody wins. That's the way the market works. That's where we're going. But uh, government mandates uh, or directives or missives or declaration by fiat doesn't work. It's never worked. Um, And all you're doing is making it harder for America to produce food. And given the way Europe's going, we are going to be the last country on the line in some cases uh, to provide that to our allies over there in, in Europe. So I feel strongly that we do. We need to do a better job of telling people how important the environment is to people that are currently farming and uh, and uh, producing livestock. Uh, and then we look for ways that we can participate in a market-driven approach where there's an incentive for us to to jump through whatever hoop that makes sense financially. Uh, if the market's going to pay more, if that makes sense. And things should definitely be guided by true consumer demand and and market forces, not be artificially inflated or perhaps decided by government forces. And unfortunately, we're seeing that in many, many areas, and even as it bleeds into conservation, agriculture, and whatnot. So Congressman Flood, if people are interested to learn more about your work, follow any legislation you're sponsoring, get to know you more, where would you like to send them to in terms of links and connecting with you? Well, uh, certainly get a hold of me uh, on online. Uh, I have I have so many different ways to get a hold of me. If you just type my name in Google and you write uh, Mike Flood, Nebraska, F-L-O-O-D, you're going to see options on Twitter or X, I guess, Facebook, uh, Instagram. You're going to find us on uh, the web and uh, and then we'll have our phone number there. You know, I've got so many different ways you can get a hold of me. I don't even have a list in front of me, but um, I'll make sure I get <laughs> I'll, I'll get a litany of them to you. We'll include the appropriate links in the show notes, uh, as I always do for these interviews, because it's important for listeners to, if they're in, in, you know, interested and in, in curious about your efforts, we always try to defer them to there. Congressman Mike Flood, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Anytime you'd like to come back and update my listeners, whether it's the Eagle situation, anything happening in financial services as it relates to ESG, anything ag-related, you're always welcome back on. Hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you enjoyed what you heard today, go leave us some reviews on Apple and Spotify or wherever podcasts are played. Your feedback will help us reach more people. And I love to know what is on your mind after each episode. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement because that is our way of updating all of you listeners. And we have just hit a thousand followers on Instagram for the podcast account. Thank you very much. And if you have any guest suggestions or topics you want to hear on the show, I'm all ears. I would love to hear your feedback there. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.